Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, Channel Pros. Welcome to episode 24 of the Channel Journeys podcast, sponsored by my company, Channel Journeys Consulting. I'm Rob Spee, your show host and the founder of Channel Journeys Consulting. And my goal is to help you accelerate growth and create powerful partner ecosystems. One of the ways I can do that is through this podcast. And I'm on a mission to find really interesting guests and interesting topics. This week, I have a special guest and a really special treat for you. My guest is Laura Stewart. She was an MSP before it was even called MSP. She's an award-winning author, an international speaker, entrepreneur, strategist, and she has her own podcast on iHeartRadio called It's All About the Questions. We're going to talk about exponential innovation and technology and how it's driving a channel transformation and what questions we should be asking in the channel to uncover new opportunities and minimize new threats. Let's jump right in with Laura Stewart. Here we go. Laura, good morning. Great to have you on the Channel Journey Show. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm awesome, Rob. It's such a pleasure to be here with you today. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, an honor to have you on the show. You know, you're my first professional podcaster that I've had on Channel Journeys. Ah, well, I am honored. I am honored. So it's fantastic. So we'll talk a little bit about your show, and maybe we can just kick it off. Give us a little bit about your channel journey. You were in the channel for a while. Now you're not. So a little bit of an interesting history. Can you tell us about that? I sure can. You know, it's interesting that you say I was in the channel. Now I'm not. But, you know, I think once you're in the channel, you're always sort of always in the channel. That's true. You you really haven't fully left it, have you? No, because I have so many friends that are still in it. And I have a hand in with my friend's company, Sazmax, helping them do a bunch of different things. And I still speak at different channel events. I started my career in tech when I started my own company, well, I had a career in tech prior, but then I left corporate life and I decided to start my own managed service business way before it was called managed services. You were an MSP before it was an MSP? Yeah. You know, back in the day, we used to call them resellers. And then it's like, oh, we're going to sell block time. Oh, we're going to try to build our recurring revenue. And then it's like, well, I'm just going to manage all this stuff. And I was doing it way before anybody had coined the term MSP. To me, it was just, here's how you build revenue and build your business and you got to get recurring revenue and you got to make it sticky. So how do you make it sticky? You just start managing everything for a flat fee. And I did that for 15 years. I had a multi-state company, Guardian Angel Computer Services. Where did that name come from? Was it a security company? Well, we did do security, but it's the interesting part, right? I started it in Connecticut and I'm originally from New York. So when I started it, people kept expecting me to come out with a red hat on because they used to have Back in the early 90s, the guardian angels walked around protecting New York City with the red berets and stuff like that. But I'm dating myself now. (laughs) The name came because when I was working corporate, I used to help some friends with their computers and stuff like that on the side. You know, I didn't charge them or whatever, but, you know, somebody needed some help and, and you just did it. And I walked into my chiropractor's office one day. And they literally grabbed me by the front of my shirt and said, our computer's down. We don't know what's going on. And 
I said, well, have you, do you have a backup? Have you done everything I've told you to do all along? And they're like, no, we never backed it up. And this is all of their patient data. It's the only computer in the office. So I said, okay, let me take a look at it. And I ended up taking the computer home. And by the next morning, I had recovered all the data off the hard drive, cloned it onto a new hard drive and had their entire database and patient records and financial stuff all back and delivered it to them the next day. And they said, you're our guardian angel. (laughs) There we go. So when I decided to start my own company, I called it Guardian Angel Computer Services. Fantastic. You know, that story just reminded me, I I used to work at Carbonite, you know, the online cloud backup company. I love them. I use them. Do you? So, you know, they have a very similar story. The founders had had, they both had very similar experiences. One, his daughters was, had just finished her thesis for her master's or doctorate and the hard drive crashed with no backup. Common and, story. <laughs> yeah. And the other founder had a very similar story. And that's when they decided they needed a backup solution and they developed Carbonite. And it's a great solution. I, Like I said, I use it. I recommended it to <laughs> many, many people. <laughs> well, this wasn't meant to be a plug for Carbonite, but they do have a great solution. They, they really do. And it works simply. So. Okay, great. So you, you've got this IT service, managed service company. You're running it for 15 years. Then I what happened? It. You sell it. That's right. Yeah, I, I sold it. And then I, I worked for the company that bought my company for a year, a year and a half, and then went off on a, a different journey. It felt like it was time to make some changes. And I, I wrote a book that became a number one international bestseller and won a Nautilus Book Award for books that make a better world. And what was the name of the book? What Would a Wise Woman Do? Questions to Ask Along the Way. So is it only geared towards wise women or can could a wise man get wise reading it? Absolutely. A wise man could get wise, hopefully reading it. <laughs> get wiser. <laughs> that, that's actually a fascinating little aside, because when I was writing the book, I knew the title and I knew what was going to be in the book. And the whole concept of the book is about the power of questions, that what if we ask questions to get the answers that we need versus what a lot of us do, which is keep asking questions to get the answers we want. Mm-hmm. And I'd always use this process throughout my business career and my life, which was asking questions and trying to find the right people to ask the questions of. And I, I know it's helped me throughout my entire life. The, the way you phrase a question and the question you ask really predetermines the kinds of answers that you can get from it. And my agent and my publisher, when I sent them the first draft of the book, they came back to me and said, we love the book, but we need you to make it less gender neutral. Hmm. I hadn't realized it, but, you know, being a woman in the tech fields, I've just, I never really thought of myself as a woman in tech. I, I was just a, a tech, I was yeah. a geek, you know, intellectual <laughs> badass. That's what I was. Yep. And the fact that I now had to use terminology of being a woman and put some women's stories in there was very hard for me because I never thought of it that way. But they said to me with a title of what would a wise woman do? And with the fact that 90% of the buyers of books are women, they'll buy them for men or themselves, but 90% of books sold are bought by women. I didn't know that. Yeah. Isn't fascinating statistics, right? They felt that I needed to really make it less gender neutral. And do you you have any idea of who's buying your book? I don't know if there are any demographics to see how many women versus men. 
Only by people that make comments on social media or send yeah. emails or, or notes or, or call me up. And there are a lot more women that do purchase it. But I have a number of men who have reached out to me and said, you know, my wife bought this book and I started reading it and here's what I got from it. And at book signings, I have men and women at the book signings. From the book about, and you're asking, you're telling yourself to ask the right questions. Is that what led to the podcast that I mentioned you're the host of? It is. I was speaking at some author conferences and some tech conferences. And at one of the events I was speaking at became good friends with one of the other speakers. And she was starting up an internet radio network. Okay. And she said, you would be so fantastic. And I went, really? And she had a long broadcast career and everything. And I said, all right, well, I'll try it. I know why. I know why, Laura. You have a great voice. <laughs> it just sounds like a great radio voice. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I love your voice, too. It's so calming. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> we, we both have voices. Got to keep my guests calm. There you go. It, it, you know, it really is true. That's what a number of my guests have said, because my show is on iHeartRadio, right? So it's broadcast live. There's no, we can't edit as we go kind of thing. It's it's literally the show starts and you don't know who's going to be listening. They could be in their car. There can be in their house. They could be on the iHeart app. You just don't know. And a couple of my guests said, I'm so thankful. You're just so calm. I, it calmed my nerves. I was all panicky about <laughs> being on the air live. <laughs> so in your show, it's called It's All About the Questions. Right. And it came because the first iteration of my show is called Entrepreneur Masterclass. Hmm. I did that for a year and then things didn't work out so well with the company that she had engaged to do the back end of everything. Mm -hmm. So rather than continue with that, I reached out to somebody here locally at a radio station here in town who had interviewed me and had me co-host for him a few times. And he had an open slot on the uh, morning block and I, I took it. So that started my career in broadcast. And the whole idea for me with the show, it's all about the questions and my book and, and all the work I did with my clients in the channel is this idea that the only way you know the right questions to ask is if you're willing to shake up your perceptions and perspectives. And I've been really fortunate in my life to meet people from all different backgrounds, from all different diversity of thought is how I like to think of it. Yeah. And and because of that diversity of thought that I've been exposed to, I've learned to ask different questions, to listen differently to what's going on for myself and others around me. And the show is about helping people get diversity of thought. Is that how you decide who to have on the show? Because you have some really interesting guests and you do have a wide diversity of types of guests on your show. And it's all people that I meet through my interactions out there in the world or one of my guests will say to me, hey, I have a because first thing I always do when somebody's been on my show after it's over, I send them a closing note with their recordings and everything. And they say, hey, if you think there's somebody that would be a great guest, let me know who it is. Because those people have people that they know and you just don't know where the conversation's going to head. And everybody that's on my show, I've talked to prior to them being on the show there's only one guest that I had on my show, which is a complete, complete aberration from anything I've ever done before. How so? Well, he was a childhood celebrity crush. Oh. <laughs> and I wasn't going to do it when his publicist reached out to me. And I still don't know how she found me. 
because my show is not that kind of show. Yeah. Although I've interviewed a number of authors, but mostly, you know, nonfiction. If I've interviewed a fiction author, it's because they're a journalist or they're former military. So they have some really interesting perspectives. And do you ever see the TV series Mod Squad? Oh, yeah. Okay. So Michael Cole, he played the white guy. And that was literally the advertising campaign for him way back was Michael Cole. I play the white guy. (laughs) And he wrote a memoir called I Played the White Guy. (laughs) And his publicist reached out to me and I'm like, no, I'm not going to have him on. And then I said, wait a minute. I had a massive crush on this guy. (laughs) Here's your opportunity. Here's my opportunity. How many opportunities do you get to talk to somebody that affected your childhood in some way? Yeah, yeah. And we had the most incredible conversation. He, He told his story, which was a very unique time period. And I loved it. And it's one of my popular episodes because of what he was able to share. So for me, that's what I want. I want these stories. I want these perspectives. And that's a lot about what my own channel journey was about, right? I was very fortunate throughout my channel journey when I started my company that I met people much higher up than I was. They had had businesses for much longer than I did, and they took me under their wing. And that's what I think the beauty of the channel is, Rob, is people really want to lift each other up. There's very few people in the channel that don't want to lift others up. Yeah. And that's really the goal of my channel journeys podcast too, is to lift each other up, to share ideas, to build that community. Cause I, I do also think though, and you, you struck a nerve when you mentioned, are we asking the right questions and you get in a rut. And if you're not exposed to diverse thoughts, you can get stymied in your thinking and, and not be asking the right questions. Yeah. I was recently on a panel at MES this week and, and there were four women on the panel and the title of the panel was diversity and leadership mm-hmm. and, and how to build diverse teams. And you know, of course the conversation always goes to, there's not enough women in the C-suite and, and this and that. And I just get so frustrated with the conversation, Rob, because to me, you can have 10 women or 10 men. They could be every color. They could be, you know, gender is even now fluid, right? But if they're all thinking the same way, that's not going to help. So there really needs to be diversity of thought amongst that. And I think people tend to think that you can get diversity by putting different people on boards or in businesses. But if they all come from the same background, no matter who they are, you're not going to move the dial forward enough. Yeah, that's a good point. So on this trend of or topic of diversity of thought and asking the right questions, that's really what I wanted to dive into with you, Laura, is are we asking the right questions in the channel? And what questions should we be asking? And I, in my conversations I'm having on the podcast and you go to different trade events, there's a lot of talk about shadow channels, about the transformation of the channel, channel convergence, the transformation or transition from resale to marketplaces, you know, a lot of trends and things that we're talking about, but are we even diving deep enough and asking the right questions? I I don't think we are. I love that question, Rob, because it makes us, it makes me even just in your asking of the question, stop. And if we don't stop, then we don't give ourselves that moment to think about what we're about to ask or to think about the answers that we get. And inside the channel, 
I think there's still a big division between the traditional channel, the traditional way that we've delivered products and services, the different w- the traditional way that we've gone after customer bases versus some of the new ways that people are, are trying to do it with cloud applications, with the whole IoT and bring your own device. That completely changes how the channel has to look with hacking being so massive the way it is. Mm-hmm. If as a channel, we aren't looking about what are the bad people thinking? How are they thinking? What are the questions they're asking themselves? Then we can't protect ourselves as businesses or our clients. Yeah, I think there's a tendency for us to look at the trends and talk about the trends, but we're not necessarily thinking about the implications and why that means we really do need to change our business models, our channel models. And you had a guest on your show who was fascinating, and it drove me to read his book, Daniel Burris. Love, love, love that man. The Anticipatory Organization. Yeah, everybody got to get this book and read it. And he talks about how to kind of predict the future and build your business off of that with hard trends and soft trends. And it, it, I think it directly correlates to what we're talking about in, in terms of looking at those and start asking better questions. I, I agree with you. The, the idea behind, between the hard trends and the soft trends, really, when you boil it right down to it, Rob, is being able to look. A lot of times when we're in business, and I know this for myself when I had my company and when I went into my clients' companies or potential companies, they had blinders on. They had set a business plan and this is the only way they were going to move forward. They weren't looking to see what was coming up down the road, which there's warning signs. Mm -hmm. There's little light bulbs going off all around you going, hey, this is maybe something we should be looking at because maybe our clients raised a question a couple of times or, but we're like, no, we don't sell those products. Well, eventually, if we don't begin paying attention to what potentially is coming up, then where's the world going to be? Jeff Bezos, Amazon, completely changed the way we do business. Amazon Web Services, the public cloud, right? Everybody's like, nobody will ever get rid of their servers. Yeah. Unbelievable change from a guy who we thought was just building a bookstore. Well, where are we now? In just five years, how few servers are really in people's offices? At MES, one of the speakers was at a client's and he got pulled in because they were really concerned about their bills for their cloud infrastructure. They were paying $39 million a month. $39 million a month. A month. A month for their cloud. Yeah. That's far surpassing the costs that it would have if they put it locally. But they needed the cloud or felt they needed the cloud. Who five years ago saw that this would entrench so well, that ransomware would become something that shuts down airports and governments? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the whole security issue, cybersecurity is just fascinating and frightening. Did you notice CRN I got in the mail yesterday? And there's an article in there about enemy at the gates is the title. Yes. Did you read that? I just did. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating, isn't it? With all these these nation states attacking the U.S. companies and the creepy one from China hackers coming in and, and getting to companies through the MSP and hacking the MSP. Right. And I don't know if you heard about the hack at a Las Vegas casino. Just recently? Within the last six months. I think I did. Remind us. They got hacked through 
the filter in an aquarium. Oh man, no, I didn't read that one. Right, because the filter in the aquarium was IoT. So it was on Wi-Fi. And somebody got into that and then got into the casino network. Wow. Through a fish filter. <laughs> Through a fish filter. But nobody thought IoT was be- going to become this. You know, it was science fiction. Yeah. Dick Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But, but it's the kind of things that we, as a channel member, we need to be anticipating these changes and looking to see where people might be going and then begin creating processes, creating environments that help secure it. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise we could lose our own businesses. Oh yeah. And an MSP could totally be shut down, lose their business if they got hacked and, and their customers got hacked through them. Right. So how do we, where do we start in asking the right questions about the channel. And there's obviously the channel partner needs to ask the right questions for their own business. And the vendors need to be asking the right questions about their channel and and where they take their channel or where they find their channel. Yeah. So true. Right. Because what looked like an old MSP doesn't look the same. And I, I was blown away the other day. Somebody said to me that the agent model still is very, very big in terms of the copiers and things like that. And there's still a lot of money in it. Mm -hmm. But I was talking to somebody who is in that market and they're trying to figure out what happens because a lot more people are still thinking we're going to be moving towards more paperless. Mm -hmm. So how does that impact their business models? And I think one of the first things we really need to do on both sides of the channel is stop, literally stop. And at least once a quarter, we need to look at our businesses. We need to look at our client makeup. We need to look at who are buying our products, who's not buying our products. And that's a huge piece too, Mm because how often do we look at who's not buying our products? If we were to look at who's not and look at that in terms of, is this our target market? Could it be our target market? Then we can go, okay, if they're not buying it, what are they buying? Is this something I need to be thinking about? Well, yeah, I think that applies to the partner and also to the vendor. If the vendor is setting up a flexible enough partner program, they can start seeing, well, what kind of partners are, are flocking to my solution? I've put up a, an ability through my API to develop on top of my product. I've put up a resale program. I've put up an agent program. But you may not know which one's going to be most successful, and that could change quickly over time. Right. So you need to be flexible. hmm And if you're only looking at this stuff once a year, you could be completely behind the curveball. Yeah. And that's a point Daniel makes in his book about throw out the three-year plan because, well, you're going to have one, but you got to keep checking it. Like you said, quarterly, take a look at what's going on because of this exponential innovation and change is happening so rapidly. Yeah. When when I had my business every year, we sat down and, and we looked at every client we had. But now I would need to look at that every quarter. Looking at my, and you should be doing this anyway, right? Mm -hmm. But every year in my business, we sat down and we looked at every single client, rated them A through F, determined if we were going to keep certain clients and also looked at the trend change. So however clients changed over the course of the year. Yeah. But if you look at that every three months, it's a lot easier to do, right? So look at where have your client, are you bringing in different kinds of clients? 
are you not bringing in clients? If you're not bringing in clients, why are you not bringing in clients? And for somebody on the the channel vendor side, if the resellers are avoiding you, if the MSPs are avoiding you, if your products aren't being sold through the trusted advisory relationship, is why is that? Yeah. Do they not trust you? Are your products no longer relevant? Yeah. Have 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 they moved over to the competition or is the buying the buyers aren't buying anymore? Could be a variety of factors. If you don't constantly innovate, then people move on because the world of tech other than an iPhone, which hasn't radically changed much. I think they just make us think they're changing it, but they're really not. But I love my iPhone. You know, things stagnate and then they they blitz and they grow. Yeah. So how do we anticipate? You can't anticipate the change unless you question. Question the status quo. Question every one of your clients. I don't care what side of the channel you're on. You need to talk to your clients and say to them, what's working? What's not working? What's your biggest fear? What's, what's your biggest get? How can we best help you? And then really be willing to consider what their needs are. I can't tell you how many vendors said to me at different points in time, well, I'm sorry, you're not our, our right client. And I just looked at them several times and I said, well, what makes you think I'm not? And they're like, well, you're not this size. And I said, well, I plan on becoming that size. Now you can be on board with me and help me get there. And I'm going to put all my, my resources behind you. Or you can just make an assumption that I'm of no use to you. And I had some pretty amazing relationships with distributors and vendors because we had mutual faith in each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that points out too one of the problems with the traditional metallic tiered programs that reward the biggest partners. And yet you could have a young partner that's really ambitious and wants to grow like your firm that doesn't get the investment and misses out and the and the vendor misses out. And that doesn't give you the longevity, right? Because the bigger companies aren't going to grow your channel. They're at a finite point at a certain point, right? They're going to... Yeah, they may just be maintaining it. Right. And they're going to grow probably through acquisitions and things like that. But if you bring a, a younger, more agile company in, then you're now bringing them forward with you. You have to look at your future customer as well as your customer, current customer. And I've seen this often in the channel that they're not willing to do it. I took on some clients that were smaller than what I would have normally taken on, but I saw in them where they were going to go. And I wanted to help them get there and get the right foundations in order to grow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important in the channel is we have to build the new people. We need to help new businesses start in our industry, whether it's new vendors or it's new trusted advisors, MSPs, resellers, new distributors. We need to look at it and go, how do we become more agile? How do we grow and keep our industry viable? And I love that conversation because I really feel that we get so jaded, Rob, where we just don't have that forward thinking. Well, it, it's it's something we need to get. So I was at a event this morning. It was a sales panel. And we were talking about segmentation, sales segmentation at the sales force. 
one of the guys, a couple of guys on the panel, actually, they were talking about their, their field and their inside teams. And it's, they're starting to migrate to more of a thought of a, a virtual salesperson because the customers aren't that interested of getting less interested in the face-to-face meetings. And they, they're doing a lot more virtual, you know, over GoToMeeting or Zoom or whatever platform. And I started thinking, well, what impact is that going to have on the channel? Is if the customer just wants a virtual rep, do they care whether that rep is the partner or the vendor? Well, it's fascinating that you asked that because I have a friend who's working for an MSSP and he's a very, very high level guy. And the company he's now working for wants him to have more touch points in person. Hmm. And he said to them, that's not how this business works. They don't care about the in-person at these early levels. They just want the conversation. Mm -hmm. They don't care where you're located. They don't expect you to be literally, oh, I can drive there in 10 minutes. The world's become so connected you know, to coin a Disney phrase, it's a small world. Yeah, <laughs> it still is. <laughs> it still totally is and getting smaller every day. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where you are, especially around the security stuff. Yes, they do want you to have feet on the street that can come in. But with the salespeople and even a bunch of the engineers, you want the best talent possible helping the businesses. It doesn't have to be local anymore. No, it doesn't. And I know there are a lot of heads of sales that I've worked with in the past that are out there that, you know, when I pose that question, their answer would be, well, yeah, we don't need the partner anymore, which to me is not, it's not the right answer. I think there are other, a few more questions you got to ask after that to understand what role the partner does play in that virtual world. And and I think it depends on the company you're going into, right? Yeah. If you're going into a younger upstart, the business owner probably doesn't matter as much. But if you're going into a more traditional, it probably matters a lot more. When we do business with Semantic or HP or IBM, are we expecting to talk to the top person when we're deciding if we're going to do business with them? No. Half the time, I never met half of the people in person that I decided to do business with. Mm-hmm. I met them at some events, maybe some local person that was at some trade show, got to know them. And then, you know, I got assigned a person and we built a relationship. Now, when in my business, I know that a lot of people wanted me to come and and do the sales and things like that. But I was also a smaller business. There were only like six of us. So I was the face. Yeah. But if somebody wants to grow their business to the next level, you have to lose the face. They can't be the only one that closes a deal because you'll never take it to the next level. And I think that's an important question that needs to be asked in the channel, Rob, as well. What's your plan for growing, for exiting, for taking you out of the main mix? Because that would become a bottleneck. So where are your bottlenecks? What's stopping you from growing? And and I just love that, that question, because we don't often ask what's stopping us from growing and where do we want to grow? And how am I stopping the growth? How do we make this concrete for the listeners? Maybe some specific questions they should be asking or maybe some specific ways they can think about this to start asking the right questions. Okay, well, I'd start with asking the question of what do you want? And we often don't ask that, right? We start our businesses and then we forget about it. We say, this is our three-year plan. This is our 10-year plan. This is whatever it is. So 
either side of the channel needs to start and say to themselves, what do we want? And then go, what do our customers want? Not only now, but where will they be going? Mm -hmm. And those set of questions can, if you look at them every quarter, really sets you up to see trends, the hard trends and the soft trends that you talked about from Daniel Burris's book. Mm -hmm. It really begins to set you up and say to yourself, I want to be ahead of the curve. And that's another question. I, I, that one just popped into my head now as we're, as we're talking. I, I love when that happens. So thank you for asking me the question. Where do we think the industry is going? Mm -hmm. Why do we care about it? And you know what? Nobody asks this one, and I always laugh. Nobody asks, do I want to go there? Yeah. Because you can say, this is where the customers are going, but if you don't want to go there, what's going to happen to your business? It's not going to be successful because your heart's not in it. No, and we, <laughs> there's some big examples of companies that didn't want to go there. And a lot of them are out of business Th now. That's right, exactly. So how do you figure that out? You figure that out by looking at your existing customers, looking at the trends out there in the world. I interviewed um, several uh, a Navy SEAL sniper. Oh, interesting. Brandon Webb, such a cool guy. And he wrote a book called Mastering Fear, and he runs a $100 million valued digital media company now since, and he revamped SEAL training school for the Navy SEALs and trained most of these snipers that you've heard about and everything. And one of the things he said to me when he was starting his business, and the first time he started it, it failed. And then he picked himself back up. His whole life had dissolved, which is not something you think of with Navy SEALs, right? You just think they're the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And then you add sniper on top of it, right? And one of the things he said to me was, if you're not 100% committed to whatever path you're going to take, then you're never going to get there because the fear is going to stop you. Mm -hmm. and, and that fear can be something so simple as, I won't close that client or our products aren't good enough, or a client, and when I say client, it could be from the MSP side, or it could be from the vendor side. The client will go, I don't see you being able to be with me in two years from now. And you're saying this in your head, you don't even know if it's true, Rob, yeah. but you have that fear. But if you're willing to, as Brennan says, look at the data and analyze the data, and then take a moment and pause. And really feel it. Talk to your customers on either side. Talk to your staff and talk to yourself. I've seen salespeople excel because they have such strong belief in themselves. And I've seen salespeople fail because they have such strong belief in themselves. And the ones that fail with the strong belief are because they don't listen mm -hmm. to what their customers want. They just have one focus in mind so that they're unable to see what the client really needs. Yeah. And, and that fear, it pops up in so many different places. You know, the fear of a sales rep to work with a partner, the fear of a vendor who's in the old traditional on-prem model, the fear of moving to the SaaS model, the fear of opening up a new type of channel beyond what you have today. But I, I like your approach there of, of looking at the data, analyzing the data, asking, well, well where is it going and do I want to go there? Yeah. Because if you don't want to go there, what's the thing? <laughs> Figure out where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and how long you can stay on you, how long you can stay on that path. Right. And who you want to go there with mm -hmm. too. Yeah. I think that's an important piece too. Loyalty is changing inside the channel on both sides. 
And I think we need to bring that back, this loyalty conversation. Why do you think we lost it? I think we lost it because there was too much alignment of this is the only person I'm going to work with mm -hmm. or there was backstabbing. I know that for a lot from, from my end, there were vendors that said they wouldn't take our clients or deals when you had to register something and then they'd have their own people go in Yeah, and then we'd lose the deal or they would let somebody else go in that they gave higher margins to so that they could undercut the sale. And I think that really jeopardized a lot of the relationships. Well, yeah. And I think that's a big risk today as you see companies, uh, Microsoft, for example, is moving more towards their marketplace. Uh, number one, that's changing a lot that's happening. They've also are moving more towards selling like their Azure services direct to the customer and pushing pushing out kind of the reseller, but, but inviting in more of a add-on service play for the partners. And there are a lot of resellers who are ticked off about that, but there are others who are saying, wait a second, I'm actually getting better margins with the services than I was getting with the resell. Right. But if it's not explained properly, they don't understand mm -hmm. it because there's still that switch from the traditional to the new. Office 365, great example, right? Pretty much everybody gets the same margin on it. Now, granted, some of the really big companies that are selling Office 365 make a little bit more, but I was with a number of reseller friends and they're like, oh, we can't make any money of this. I'm like, yes, you can. Office 365 is just a commodity. That's your foot in the door, mm -hmm. but that's not your business. Your business isn't selling that. Your business is helping your customer get to where they want to go with their business goals. Office 365 is just a tool. Now, if you manage all of that stuff and you manage their security and you manage all their licenses, and then you help them use tech to achieve their goals, you're going to make way more money off of that services side than you will off of any product. But if the reseller, if the MSP feels that the vendor will go and immediately give them some their name to somebody else, that's going to be a problem. You made me think of something too, and that's, is that the partners need to be asking their customers where do they want to go because the customers aren't buying a product or a solution anymore. They want to buy a business outcome. And that's a great way, you know, what we're talking about is asking the right customer questions to uncover where they want to go so that you can be providing that business outcome and not just selling Office 365 or some other service. Yeah, and that was the way I led inside my company. People would call us and say, oh, I need to get a server or I need some desktops or whatever. And I say, hey, can I come in and talk? And I'd go in and I'd spend like an hour with them. We're like, well, I just need a computer. I'm like, well, tell me why you feel you need a new computer. Are you bringing a new hire on or what's going on? Why do you, why do you need this piece of tech? At the end of the hour, all I talked about was what are their business goals? What are they hoping to achieve with that new tech? And sometimes I would walk out of there not selling them what they wanted because I knew it wouldn't get them where they wanted to yeah. go. How is that helping me long term? It's a short-term look. I want to look long-term with my clients. Yeah, and that's a question too. We've got to train our channel account managers and partner managers to ask their partners and train them to have those, those business-type conversations. Where do you want to take your business? And, and can we, as your vendor, help you get there? Right, because if we help their business grow, they're going to keep doing business with us. Yeah, or you may find out that it's not a good fit. And I've walked away and recommended other people for them to do business with because I knew I wasn't the right fit. Yeah. 
Well, Laura, I, I think you and I could probably spend hours on this conversation, but for the sake of our listeners, I guess we should start wrapping it up. I'm curious, any other thoughts, final thoughts that you have on on asking the right questions in the channel? Yeah. Last thought I'd, I'd like to say is that the questions change based on who you're talking to. And I think that's really important as well, because most of the questions we form are formed based on the people around us and their experiences. So the best way to make sure you're asking the right questions is to surround yourself with people who think differently, Mm -hmm. with people who have different perspectives, and to question where their answers to you are coming from. And let me give you a quick example of that. When I decided to start my company, I was working corporate and they had offered a package. And you know, it's a great opportunity, six months pay, a year's medical benefits. I mean, you can't ask for better, right? But my parents, who had always been incredibly supportive of me, were freaking out. They didn't freak out that much when I moved out of their house and bought my first condo. <laughs> I mean, it was over the top. And they just kept saying, you can't leave. You don't have security. Do you have clients lined up already? How are you going to pay all this, your mortgages and everything? And and then I started to panic, right, Rob? Because my parents have all been supported all of a sudden or not. Yeah, the, the, the fear sets in now. <laughs> right. And, you know, because I started it back when I was in my 30s. I looked at it and a friend of mine said to me, well, don't you think that's kind of odd? So where do you think they're coming from with that fear? And all of a sudden it hit me. My parents were raised in the depression. Mm-hmm. You did not make a leap from a secure position to something unsecure without making sure everything was as good as you can make it be. You just didn't do that. You stayed at a company. And even though my dad was very entrepreneurial, there was this fear for him. And once I realized that, then I went, okay, what is a value from their experience that I can use? And I went, all right, make sure I have enough emergency funds so I can pay my mortgage, if I have a medical emergency, that kind of thing. Do I have the skill sets to do what I want to do? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, okay, mom and dad, I'm going to start the business. And I hit the ground running and never looked back. Yeah. And and I think one of the points in there is that diversity of thinking. If you had only listened to your parents from that one perspective, you would have been frozen in fear, but then you have someone else with a different perspective that gets you to think it in a different way and come up with a different solution. Right. Because I asked myself after my friend said it, where is their perspective coming from? Where is their answer coming yeah. from? And, and my absolute favorite question to ask when I'm in a situation, in a client situation or anything like that, my favorite ending question is, is there anything I asked, anything I didn't ask that I should have asked? Right. And they all look at you and go, wow, nobody's ever asked me that before. <laughs> and sometimes they'll go, nope, you asked everything, which entrenches you in even more because, wow, you know, the person really was in depth. And then somebody else will go, you know, I didn't mention this, but you should know about this. And it might be the most important thing of the entire meeting. Typically it is. Fantastic. Well, I have two more recommendations. One is listen to Laura on her podcast. It's all about the questions. Read Laura's book. What would a wise woman do? Actually, I have a third recommendation. And that's read, read okay. Daniel Burris's book too, The Anticipatory Organization. I think it's just fascinating. Yeah, it's a brilliant, brilliant book. And Brandon Webb's Mastering Fear, another great book for anybody in business channel side. Or oh, he's the Navy SEAL. He's the Navy SEAL. And he wrote it with John David Mann. Brilliant. Awesome. Book. I'll put all those in the show notes, links to, to all those resources. Laura, thanks again. 
always a pleasure chatting with you and, and look forward to the next insightful time where we can try to ask the right questions. Absolutely. And thanks for having me on the show. And anybody can go to laurasteward.com and download some free chapters. of the Awesome. Book. I'll put a link in there for that as well. All right. Take care, Laura. Thanks, Rob. Take care. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys, this is Rob back with you. Special thank you to Laura Stewart. She is super fun and a super generous individual. I really love chatting with her. I hope you enjoyed this thought-provoking episode as much as I did. The question that she posed at the beginning of this podcast, I think really summed this up. Are you asking the questions to get the answer you need or to get the answer you want? And the way you phrase a question predetermines the answers that you get. So our call to action today is really easy. Think about the questions you're asking about the channel. And are you ready to shake up your own perspectives and get diversity of thought? Is your mind open to hearing the answers you really need? not on just getting what you want to hear. I'm going to take this valuable lesson and apply it to my consulting practice, and I'm going to apply it too to the questions that I ask going forward on this podcast. There are a lot of great takeaways from this episode. You can find those along with other show notes and resource links on my website at channeljourneys.com backslash CJ24. Don't miss next week's episode. I will be talking about platform ecosystems and how to build a successful developer channel with Avanish Sahai. He did just that with Salesforce, and now he's applying his skills at ServiceNow. We have a great conversation, a lot of valuable points to learn. Until then, make sure that you're asking the right questions, and you're going to have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.